Hi, and welcome to the Vineyard Northwest podcast. At Vineyard Northwest, we aim to be a culture that welcomes heaven to earth by raising up world-changing kingdom leaders. We hope you enjoy this message from one of our executive pastors, Luke Hazenmeyer. Good morning, everybody. My name is Luke Hazelmeyer. So happy to have you all with us. Thanks. Thank you. Um, so, isn't it awesome getting together to celebrate Easter and the Resurrection Sunday? <laughs> I feel like if I say anything in the right tone of voice, I can get you guys to cheer, probably. This is a fired up group. So, um, it was just April Fool's Day. Anyone play any good pranks on April Fool's Day or have someone play a prank on you by a show of hands? Okay, a few people. You know, I was the kind of person that when April Fool's Day came around or just whenever there was an opportunity to do any kind of practical joke on people, I would like want to do it because I find them hilarious. But like in the in-between time where the person's just looking at you like, what the heck are you doing? What's going on? I just would cringe on my innermost being so much that I've never been one to enjoy practical jokes. Can anybody identify with me? Is it like... You would pull practical jokes on people if you could, but it just makes you feel so, ugh, that's how I am. And um, in the same way, um, something that used to just, it's really like, something used to really bother me over the years would be when someone thought I said one thing, but really I said another. Like when, um, you know, I can probably think all the way back to like middle school where I would say something to my group of friends and then I'd hear later that, oh, did you hear what Luke said? He said this. I'm like, no, I did not say that. I said this. Also in relationships and um, in my marriage, there have been times where I said something to my wife, Jamie, and, and then you know, I find out a few days or hours or weeks or minutes later that what I said... <laughs> What I said was, you know, really hurtful. I'm like, what do you mean? Like, I didn't, and, and it literally just came down to, like, she misheard me. And there's been plenty of times where I did say something I had to apologize for. But <clears throat> point is, um, I don't like that, and I'm sure you don't like that either, when someone thinks you said one thing, but really you said another. And so what I want to talk about this morning is what the message of Jesus is and what the message of Jesus isn't. Because there are a whole lot of opinions about what the message of Jesus is all over the world, right? You log on to Facebook, Instagram, Twitter, whatever. For as many friends as you have or followers if you have on there, you'll probably find that many different opinions as to what the message of Jesus is. Some say that, you know, the message of Jesus supports this political initiative, this political mindset. Some people say, oh, the message of Jesus promotes this different agenda that I have. And what I wanna do this morning is to give you my most pure, honest belief about what the message of Jesus is with all agendas stripped. You may have heard a message of Jesus before that has hurt you or offended you or even harmed you. And you might be sitting in this room right now thinking the last thing I wanna hear about is the message of Jesus. But what I wanna tell you is I know that if if you really understand what the message of Jesus is, if we can put out the voices that are bringing in a distorted picture of it, 
And if you can really just hear what it is, I think it'll be something that'll be appealing to you. So we're gonna read out of the book of the Bible called Romans to start. You can, it's gonna be up on the screen. You can just read it up there. But if you have a Bible with you and you wanna read along, you can turn to Romans three right now. And before I can talk about this passage, I wanna clarify one term that's used frequently in this passage of scripture. The term is the law. You'll hear a couple times as I read this, um, the author whose name was Paul mentioned something called the law. And in case you don't know what the law is, the law consisted of hundreds of commands, do this or don't do that, that God had given the Jewish people before Jesus came. And these list of commands, the Jewish people viewed them as their way to be right with God and to live in a godly way. And so this is why for the Jewish people, it was especially hard to accept the good news or the message of Jesus because they had already been thinking, well, we're good to go. We've got the law. But then the author here clarifies how they should be thinking about the law. And so with that said, let's read this text. This is Romans 3, 23 through 25. And then we're gonna skip to Romans 4, 24 and 25, all like in one breath. So here we go. Obviously, the law applies to those to whom it was given, for its purpose is to keep people from having excuses and to show that the entire world is guilty before God. For no one can ever be made right with God by doing what the law commands. The law simply shows us how sinful we are. But now God has shown us a way to be made right with him without keeping the requirements of the law, as was promised in the writings of Moses and the prophets long ago. We are made right with God by placing our faith in Jesus Christ. And this is true for everyone who believes, no matter who we are. For everyone has sinned, we all fall short of God's glorious standard. Yet God, in his grace, freely makes us right in his sight. He did this through Christ Jesus when he freed us from the penalty for our sins. For God presented Jesus as the sacrifice for sin. People are, made right, people are made right with God when they believe that Jesus sacrificed his life, shedding his blood. This sacrifice shows that God was being fair when he held back and did not punish those who sinned in times past. And now 24 and 25 of chapter four. God will also count us as righteous if we believe in him, the one who raised Jesus our Lord from the dead. He was handed over to die because of our sins and was raised to life to make us right with God. So first point I wanna share is this, the message of Jesus is about being, not doing. God does not want you to get to, does not want to get you to do differently. Not primarily. He doesn't wanna get you to do new things or different things than you're doing now. He wants you to be something new. Be something different. There's a distinction there. You know, before people meet Jesus, I think they often think of him as like a heavenly Santa Claus. You know, like, you know the song, he's making a list, he's checking it twice, he's gonna find out who's naughty and nice, Santa Claus is coming to town, he sees you when you're not, just kidding. <laughs> You guys were looking at me like, I will not sing Christmas music in April. 
I'm still recovering from December. <clears throat> but I think mo- a lot of people look at, at God like a heavenly Santa Claus where he's watching you. He's watching to see what you're doing. Are you doing naughty things? Or are you doing nice things? Are you doing good things? Or are you doing bad things? And then the idea is, well, if I can just do enough good things to make him happy, I'll be good. If I do too many bad things though, then I gotta either make up those bad things with good things or I'm just done for. And I think we oftentimes think about this in terms of like a scale. So I've got this little scale up here. And here's a jar of pennies. Pennies represent deeds. So let's say that we've got good deeds here on the right, left deeds, or uh, left, bad deeds on the left. And so kind of the way that we think about it sometimes is, well, yesterday I told the truth to my friend and I um, was nice to the cashier at Kroger, even though they didn't smile one time. (laughs) And I let someone out in the parking lot. You know, that's like three pennies. (laughs) And so, wow, I'm doing pretty good, right? But then, oh, the next day comes and I yell at my kids or I cut someone off in traffic or I root for the Pittsburgh Steelers. In case you don't know, our senior pastor, Van, is a vehement, and Wilson, they're both vehement Steelers fans, so I had to throw that in there. Uh, Oh gosh, I'm going to start a riot. And up, you know, this bad deed, and okay, now I'm out of balance, so next day I got to make sure I do good deeds. And I think we can oftentimes think about, like, this is how God is looking at us, like, which way are they tipped right now? But... There's a problem with this. You see, the, the, I'm gonna call this the scale mindset. The scale mindset will lead us into one of three places. The first place is that we have done so much bad in our eyes that we never think we can be good. You know, maybe it's like, well, um, I was a pretty good elementary student and, and uh, you know, I wasn't perfect, but middle school, I was okay. And, and up, oh, but then here comes... 17 through 21, and (laughs) boom, you know, (laughs) and then there's, you know, it just continues, and all of a sudden, there's just so much on here that even the little good deeds that I do, they're just, I, I never can catch up, and so when we view ourselves this way, it's like, well, God's never gonna want me, because look how much bad I've done in my life. The second mindset I think we can fall into is where we think we're good, like we don't need God. You know, maybe you were a pretty good kid all throughout life, even a pretty good high schooler. Uh, Believe it or not, my wife, Jamie, in high school did not rebel, Um, so that's crazy. I did. Maybe then you went off to school, you did pretty well in school, and you were a pretty good, uh, pretty good worker after that, wherever you went to work. Um, and then you were a pretty good spouse. And now, you know, you're, maybe you're a pretty good parent and you're just kind of like, I'm good. I'm good to go. And then the third place that the scale mindset can lead us is where 
we're constantly in this balancing act. And one day we feel good about ourselves, another day we feel bad about ourselves. And this can be exhausting where like all of the time we're constantly judging and assessing our worth based on what we are doing. And eventually what happens is we're like, okay, enough of this, this is exhausting. I just am gonna say, I don't want anything to do with God or don't want anything to do with this anymore. I'm just gonna do my own thing. Now, all three of those mindsets, um, I believe, are not accurate towards how God sees you. And that's because God does not look at us according to a scale. He does not look at us according to what we have done. Romans, to go back to that passage I read, Romans 3.20 says, for no one can ever be made right with God by doing what the law commands. Now can you throw that next one up? No one can ever be made right with God by doing. The way we're made right with God is when he comes and changes our being. So God, he thinks about, you know, sin, mistakes, bad deeds. He thinks about that totally different. Um, here's a way I think he thinks about it, just to give you another visual. So, got some water here. This is great water. I've already drank half of it. Um, I'll prove it to you. Take a sip. It's good water. It's actually smart water, so I think I'm going to get smarter from reading, drinking it. Okay? And so, I got that, and now I also have a bottle of urine. <laughs> Just kidding. It's apple juice. Okay? So, I've got, you know, but pretend it's urine. I've got the urine here. And, um, you know, maybe you think of yourself as, um, you know, too far gone for God. If that's the case, I have something to say to you in a little bit. But maybe you think of yourself as, you know, I think I'm pretty good. Like, I think God probably looks at me and, and thinks that I'm a pretty good person. Or, or maybe you're in that in-between stage. And here's the thing. God just, he looks at sin so much differently than we do, you know? I bet you if I were to ask any of you, hey, would you come up and drink this water? None of you would because I just took a sip of it. But you wouldn't think that this, there's anything actually wrong with this water. Like you would view this water as good to drink. Now, question I have for you, would any of you drink this water if I did this? And remember, this is urine. Who would drink this water? Nobody, right? Nasty. And in the same way, um, this is what sin does to us. So when we sin, it's not just that God's like, oh, there's another bad one, throw it on his scale. When we sin, it actually changes who we are. And, and it changes who we are in such a way where we are no longer the person that God wanted us to be. Kind of like this water went from pure and drinkable to something that I would never let come near my mouth. That's what sin does to us. And the crazy thing is, if I had just poured one tiny drop in here, even though I, I poured like a substantial amount, if I had just poured one tiny drop, I bet you none of you would have wanted to drink this water. 
because all it takes is just a little bit to change this from something that I wanna drink to something that I don't wanna drink. Now, I wanna show how does Jesus deal with this, but instead of me saying it, there's a really great video that I found on YouTube. I wanna show you that now, so you guys can roll that video. Why did Jesus have to die? You know, that's a question that we all ask at some point, and I want to explain it in a way that might make sense with a visual. You see, Jesus, Jesus came to take the punishment of our sin, the sin that you have done or would ever do. That's what he came to do. And see, you here look pretty good. I mean, come on, you look nice and clean, just the way you were meant to be. Oh, I could drink you up. (laughs) But we've all done stuff that we shouldn't do. We've all sinned in different ways. And the problem is, is when we sin and we bring sin into our lives, it changes us. It changes who we are. And suddenly there's elements in us that weren't meant to be there. Maybe it's, maybe it's bad attitudes or you, you yelled at your parents or you lied to a friend or you cheated on a test or, or you hurt someone or you hurt yourself. Whatever it might be, it's not the way you were meant to be. And God, God saw this and he didn't want it to be this way. He said, this was not how I intended you to be. So God had a perfect rescue plan. And that rescue plan was Jesus. Now Jesus was perfect. He, he came and he lived a perfect life. He was without sin. So the question was, what would happen if Jesus took the sin of the whole world, all of the sin, and put it in himself? And so he went to the cross and he took our sin. And Jesus took all that sin and put it in himself. <laughs> but... That's the thing, is Jesus took our sin to the grave, but then he left it there. He left that sin in the grave, and he came back with new life for all of us. And he was still perfect and pure and blameless and everything that we needed. And so you, with all of our sin and with all that's inside of us, you have the ability to say yes to Jesus because we don't need sin anymore. Sin has been defeated by the power of the cross and what Jesus did and the power of his resurrection. And so when you say yes to Jesus and you ask him to fill you with his power, (laughs) it changes everything. Jesus brings freedom. You couldn't have taken this out on your own. You could not remove the sin from yourself. Only Jesus could do that because he died and rose again to defeat the power of sin and bring us true freedom. And that's why Jesus had to die. Second Corinthians 5 verse 17 says this, This means that anyone who belongs to Christ has become a new person. The old life is gone. A new life has become. God doesn't just want to make you do better. He wants to give you new life. He wants to make you new. It's not about doing. It's about being. Next point, the message of Jesus isn't good news for just some people, but for all people. Let's read this amazing story that Jesus told to like prove this point. 
So Luke 18, verses nine through 14. Then Jesus told this story to some who had great confidence in their own righteousness and scorned everyone else. Two men went to the temple to pray. One was a Pharisee and the other was a despised tax collector. The Pharisee stood by himself and prayed this prayer. I thank you, God, that I'm not like other people, cheaters, sinners, adulterers. I'm certainly not like that tax collector. I fast twice a day and I give you a tenth of my income. But the tax collector stood at a distance and dared not even lift his eyes to heaven as he prayed. Instead, he beat his chest in sorrow saying, oh God, be merciful to me for I am a sinner. I tell you, this sinner, not the Pharisee, returned home justified before God. For those who exalt themselves will be humbled and those who humble themselves will be exalted. The point of this is that Jesus could care less about what the stereotypical religious image is. Maybe when you think about a Christian or someone who follows Jesus, you think of someone who is really judgmental and pretentious and looks down on people. Or maybe you think of someone who leans left politically or leans right politically. Or maybe you think of someone who has never done a bad thing in their life. Whatever your stereotypical image is of, who, of like a Christian, what this is saying is like, look, God is not looking at that. God's not looking at any of that. He is looking at your heart. If your heart wants more to know more about God, if your heart, there's something in your heart longing for, um, for God or to know more about Jesus or whatever, like that's what God is pleased with. That's what he's looking at. That's what justifies us. And the message of Jesus, it's not just good news for a certain like demographic person or a, cer a, certain per a person of a certain demographic. Um, Galatians 3 verse 28 says, all who have been united with Christ in baptism have put on Christ like putting on new clothes. Here's the key. There is no longer Jew or Gentile, slave or, fee fee uh, slave or free, male and female, for you are all one in Christ Jesus. What's his point here? His point isn't to say that we should no longer view people according to these distinctions, you know? But what he's saying is that when it comes to following Jesus, it doesn't matter if you're male or female. It doesn't matter if uh, what your, your socioeconomic status is. It does not matter what your race is, that Jesus is for everyone. Perhaps a modern day reading would say there's no longer Jew or Gentile, slave or free, male or female, or Republican or Democrat. There's, that doesn't matter. Jesus didn't come just for one kind of person. And so, you know, and the reason I bring up the Democrat Republican thing is that the political divisiveness in our country has gotten so hostile that now you have both sides saying, hey, God is, at, like if, if they're Christians, God is actually on our side. And if you're on that side, God's against you. You hear that from the political right. You hear that from the political left. You hear it from both sides. And um, what I'm here to tell you is that God loves you and wants relationship with you, whether you're right-leaning, left-leaning, diagonal-leaning, or sideways-leaning. It doesn't matter which way you lean. God wants you. He wants your heart. He wants relationship with you. Now, 
of course, when God makes you new and he comes into your life, it's gonna change the way you think in a lot of ways. And maybe on some particular issues, you'll start to think more one way or the other. And, you know, that's fine. But honestly, what I've always seen when someone who didn't know Jesus truly encounters Jesus and gets his love and his heart of compassion, if they were more right-leaning before, they come a little left. And if they were more left-leaning before, they come a little right. That's what I've always seen. And so, um, message of Jesus, it's not just for some. The message of Jesus is for all. Third point. The message of Jesus isn't that God only loves you if you're good, but that God loves you to make you good. Thank you. <laughs> I thought so too. <clears throat> All right, let's read Luke 15, 11 through 24, another story that Jesus told to emphasize this point. To illustrate the point further, Jesus told them this story. A man had two sons. The younger son told his father, I want my share of your estate now before you die. So his father agreed to divide his wealth between his sons. A few days later, this younger son packed all his belongings and moved to a distant land. And there he wasted all his money in wild living. About the time his money ran out, a great famine swept over the land and he began to starve. He persuaded a local farmer to hire him and the man sent him into his fields to feed the pigs. The young man became so hungry that even the pods he was feeding the pigs looked good to him, but no one gave him anything. When he finally came to his senses, he said to himself, at home, even the hired servants have food enough to spare and here I am dying of hunger. I will go home to my father and say, Father, I have sinned against both heaven and you, and I am no longer worthy of being called your son. Please take me on as a hired servant. So he returned home to his father. Get this. And while he was still a long way off, his father saw him coming. Filled with love and compassion, he ran to his son, embraced him, and kissed him. His son said to him, Father, I've sinned against both heaven and you. I'm no longer worthy to be called your son. But his father said to the servants, quick, bring the finest robe in the house and put it on him. Get a ring for his finger and sandals for his feet and kill the calf we have been fattening. We must celebrate with a feast for this son of mine was dead and is now returned to life. He was lost, but now he is found. No matter how far we run from God. You know, maybe some of you in here were once like a Christian and went to church and, um, you know, and you had a relationship with God, but in the past few years, some stuff has happened and you're, you're not anymore. Or maybe you never have had a relationship with God, but you've always felt like, well, God would never want me based on what I've done. Like, point here that Jesus is making is that, like, he wants you no matter what you've gotten yourself into. When I was in ninth grade, summer before my sophomore year, I attended a church conference at a different vineyard in Cincinnati called SOS. It was a week long, started on um, Monday night, and then went all day, Tuesday, Wednesday, Thursday, and Friday. And so around this time, even though I was going to this church conference, and even though I had had real experiences with Jesus. Like I knew God was real um, and I 
had had just many moments. My parents had taught me really well about, about following Jesus. And even though I had all of that, I still just had not made my relationship with him like my own. Like it, it was still just this thing that I segmented from myself to a degree. And around that particular time, I was like not, in my actions, I was like not following Jesus at all. In fact, the Monday evening after the conference, I went and hung out with my friends afterwards and we got drunk and high. And I wake up the next morning around 8 a.m., you know, totally hungover, but going to that conference. And so I go to that church conference, I'm there all morning, and then we go out and we do service projects um, during the day. And side note, I think that was the Lord, like, you know, I think he was kind of smiling, like, okay, you went out and did that last night, now you're outside working in the heat of the day, you know? <laughs> um, uh, so worked all day, and, and then that evening, we had a service, and there, um, there was worship like we just had, there was a message, and something about the message, I don't remember what it was, it just impacted my heart. And um, then they invited people to come up to the front and get prayer for what had been shared. So I'm sitting in my seat and I'm like, there's no way I can go up there. I mean, look what I was doing last night. Like, I I don't, I'm not even worthy to walk up to the front of the stage and let anybody pray for me. And so I debate, I'm debating, I'm debating, but I just have this urge. I just cannot, my mind was conflicted, but I knew in my heart I wanted to go. And so eventually I just went with my heart and I walked up to the front. And as I got up to the front, I learned that these two guys were gonna pray what are called prophetic prayers over me. And what that meant was they weren't just going to pray like what they were, you know, their, their heart's sentiment for me, but they were actually going to pause ask God to speak to them, not audibly, but ask God to like put his words and his thoughts into their minds without them having to muster it up and then share it with me. And so I'm standing like, oh, great. Like, (laughs) I know what they're gonna hear from, you know, if they really hear from God, I know what they're gonna hear. Um, And so I'm just waiting for them to be like, we, God saw what you were doing last night. Um, (laughs) Um, but they don't do that. Um, the first guy, he looks at me and he says, uh, hey, are you like an oldest brother? And I'm like, yeah. He's like, do you, how many brothers do you have? I'm like, two. He's like, okay. Well, I just heard God say that you are um, a really good brother to your brothers and an amazing example for them. <laughs> you say yay. <laughs> what I said was, that is hilarious like there's no way I'm a good example to them Um, and then the next guy looks at me and he's like yeah um, I I was feeling that too but also I just saw that you have a, a heart of David and that just like David led God's people you're gonna lead God's people someday again again that's what you say (laughs) I was like, well, isn't this rich? Um, (laughs) Thank you, thank you, you know. No, I didn't actually. So in all honesty, like that was an impactful moment for me. And if anything else, I just felt like, wow, I can't believe God is saying these nice, good things about me, even though I did what I did last night. 
And sign up, that just shows the heart of the Father. Like, maybe you were drunk and high last night. God's not looking at you right now saying, well, I know what you did. God's looking at you saying, you know, you're a leader. You're my son, you're my daughter, I love you. And so fast forward like um, six years, I'm graduating college. I'd forgot about that experience. And as I'm, uh, I graduate college and we have a graduation party and right about that time, my best friend and I had started a young adults ministry. And so we had, you know, I was a young adult at the time. We had like 30 or 40 young adults that would, we'd meet with them in a, in a house every Friday night. And so all my core leaders from that came to my graduation party, as well as my friends. My, both my brothers were there. And after we ate and hung out for a little while, my dad got up and said, okay, hey, we're going to um, share stories now about Luke and share what we appreciate about him. Um, and so after my parents did that, people start sharing, um, sharing stories about me. And my brothers get ready to share. And side note, I have never had, a, at this point, I've never had a spiritual conversation with them, even though I'd obviously kind of like got to change my life and I was going down a different path at that point in time. Like me and my brothers still, we just related like brothers. I don't know if any of you can relate. Like with your siblings, you just relate like siblings. You know, you don't, there's not a ton of like whatever. So that's how we were anyways then. <clears throat> um, we've come a long way. We hug now. So, so my brothers get up to share and, and then they just start saying how much they admire me. And I was blown away because like I said, we've never talked about it um, and how much they look up to me. And then these people that I'm leading in this young adult ministry start getting up and sharing things about me. And in that moment, I, th I believe God took my mind back to that experience as a ninth grader. Your brothers, you're a good brother, you're an example to them, you're gonna lead God's people like King David. <laughs> and I just realized like, wow, God has had his eye on me for a long time. And um, again, if, if, you're not, if you're not with walking with Jesus right now, if, uh, if you've never walked with him, he's, got, he's had his eye on you for a long time. And so what I wanna do is I wanna give any of you, I'm not gonna make you, sing, I'm not gonna, you're not gonna have to single yourself out or do anything, but I wanna give you all an opportunity now if you want to do what that passage of scripture said, if you wanna place your faith in Jesus, if you want him to come into your life and make you new, I'm gonna give you that opportunity right now. Here's how we're gonna do it. Um, I'm gonna lead you in a prayer and everyone in the room is gonna say the prayer out loud with you. So we're all gonna be saying it. So if you're saying it for the first time, no one's gonna know because the person next to you maybe would be saying it for the 10th time or whatever. So um, if you know right now that God is knocking on the door of your heart, that he wants to come in, not get you just to do things better, but to change who you are, to make you new, why don't you pray this prayer with me? And everyone else, can you, can you please pray as well? So repeat after me. Jesus, Jesus I, am sorry I am sorry for my sin. I'm sorry that I've ran, run from you. Run from you. Come, and make me new. Come and make me new. 
I believe in you, Jesus. I believe you died and rose for me. And fill me with your Holy Spirit. In Jesus' name, amen. So if you just prayed that prayer, the Bible says that heaven and all of its angels are having a party right now. <laughs> they are cheering, they are celebrating. Now, I know I told you I wouldn't make yourself, I wouldn't single you out, but I do wanna give you a real quick chance to do something easy, kind of like as an act of boldness to seal the deal on what you just prayed and so that we can celebrate with you. If you prayed that prayer, would you just pop your hand up and leave it up? One, two, three, four. Okay. Thank you, Lord. Yeah, I didn't see them all. I saw at least four hands, but let's just pray together now. Thank you, Jesus, for um, our, new, our new friends and family. And by the way, pause prayer. If you just prayed that prayer and you raise your hand, we're gonna have prayer teams up here in a second. And come up get prayer, let them pray for you, let them kind of like send you off into this new journey and this new life. Um, it's not scary at all, they're real nice, so highly encourage you to do that. But yeah, Father, thank you for, um, for sending your son, Jesus. Thank you for going to the cross and, um, and dying for us, and thank you that you rose again to give us new life. In Jesus' name, amen. Come on, thanks, Luke. Don't forget your urine. We're gonna test this, see if he's on drugs. Hey, will you guys stand up with me? Um, second thing, I just wanna pray for really quick. I feel like God was releasing and just blessing leadership over believers in the room. And um, here's the word I heard him say. I'm releasing leadership anointing this morning and it's called servant and disciple. So just close your eyes and put your hands out. Um, Father, I thank you so much for the leadership anointing on Luke's life and the grace that he releases for leadership. So we just bless that. Thank you that you're doing that in this room right now. Um, and I, I bless you. You're a disciple and you're a servant. All of you. In Jesus' name, I bless you with gifting and the mindset, Lord. We just uh, receive grace from you, Jesus, to think like servant disciples of our King. In Jesus' name, amen.